I always thought it boiled down to the fact that none of them obviously got into one of the actual uh, military service academies. And so they were always upset <laughs> even getting into Coast Guard. So I would probably want to poison people too. But, you know, that's why they put them up in that tiny little corner of New England where no one, where they can't really bother anyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think anyone from Norwich is listening. So I hopefully I didn't. Yeah. And if I did, good. Welcome back, everybody. Westcott Football Podcast is here for this week. Bart Pasterno with Coach Joe Loth. And uh, we got a dandy for you. A, a, I, I hate to use the term a, a throwback player, but a, one of the formative year players of Westcott Football, Coach Loth. Yeah, without a doubt, we got Tom Del Vecchio, Long Island guy, war number one. I guarantee he still has got a number one jersey or uh, pennant or something he's still wearing. And uh, really a great kid, a uh, great player when he played here, and also a huge contributor to our program still. Yeah. Football, really important to him. He's, uh, you know, uh, number one appropriate because he's been uh, a number one supporter of yeah, football and Westcon low these many years, and a guy who has just had a tremendously successful post-college career as well. So fascinated to find out about his his journey, so to yeah, speak. No question. You know, when you meet people and they have the ability to communicate and talk, sometimes they're the number one factor in success in life, and he is a guy that can communicate, can talk, can do it back when he was in college, just a unique individual. We'll be back. Wisconsin Football Podcast right here. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Wisconsin Football Podcast. Bart Pasternak, Coach Joe Loth, and number one, on your football program, number one of your hearts and number one in the business world, Tom Del Vecchio is here. Welcome, Thomas. Oh, thank you very much, Barton. Thank you for having me, Coach. I appreciate it. Yes, great having you on here. Oh, look, you you guys uh, know each other personally a lot more. I just, I got to watch Tommy. So, so, <laughs> so I know how good he was as a member of the Westcott football program. But, Coach Loth, you know the ins and outs of this man. Yeah, no question, Tom. He was really the heartbeat of the program uh, when he played here. He played well linebacker. Uh, Coach Trevino obviously loved Tom Del Vecchio, how hard he played and all those things. But great leader on the field, off the field, too. Yeah, and uh, it's – so let's let's go back to those, those days a little bit, Tom. The recruiting process for bringing – Tom Delvecchio, bring in your keister to Westcon. What was what was the experience of being recruited like? Well, first off, thank you very much for having me again. And I'm happy to hear that Coach Sabino maybe had some nice words about me. That's fantastic. I look forward to hearing that podcast as soon as it's out. What was it like being recruited there? So, you know, I was a football player and a lacrosse player in Long Island, New York. Uh, Long Island's obviously a hotbed more for lacrosse probably than it is for football. It's kind of the Texas of lacrosse <laughs> in terms of, you know, analogous to football. And so when I was coming out, I was debating between the two. I thought of myself more as a football player. I was very kind of militaristic, very uh, dogmatic, and I really wanted to play football. What I loved about football was hitting. And there was only so much hitting you could do in lacrosse. It was enjoyable, but it wasn't the same as football. So when I was going through the recruiting process, I was being recruited by both. 
And I kind of decided to really kind of hone in on football. And at that point, I was really looking at, do I want to look at a larger school and maybe not see the field ever or maybe a senior uh, where, you know, I was undersized, but I had some of the other measurables that they liked in terms of speed and, and the film work and the suddenness that coaches look for. But I obviously knew if I went to uh, potentially a D2 or, or a competitive D3 program, I might end up on the field for three or four years with a lot of playing time. And that mattered to me. So in that process, I really kind of honed it into going to maybe Vanderbilt and who knows how much I'd ever see the field, but it's a great university in the SEC and I get to lose by 60 to Alabama every year. (laughs) Uh, And then I was looking at Lehigh and a couple of teams in the Patriot League. But the one school that was smaller than like one double A, small Ivy, Ivy that showed interest was Westcott. And I had some interest from other D3s, but I think a lot of them figured I wasn't that interested, so they didn't really try too hard. Uh, but if you remember, it was a coach from originally from the Sachin area, which is a large high school out here. Uh, I forget how to pronounce his name, but it was, I want to say Iovino. No, it was Coach Isernia, wasn't it? Thank you, Isernia. Who was the current head coach at RPI, actually. That, yes, and so Coach Isernia uh, came to a game I played in the Long Island All-Star game. And an outside linebacker, which I'd never played in high school. I always played middle, but I played Will in the all-star game alongside a good friend of mine uh, who was actually from a different town, King Spark, a fellow named Tucker Grace, who ended up playing at Wake Forest. And so I was playing alongside Tucker, and we had a great game on defense. We won. I think we let up like 13 points, and I got a ton of letters from that game. And Coach Icernia made a big point. So he was pretty dogged. And uh, at first, at first, I was like, you know, OK, they have criminal justice, but I've never heard of the football program. And I wanted to study criminal justice. So I really liked that. He also showed some interest in some of my other teammates. And it was the only university that had interest in some of my other teammates. So that kind of appealed to me that I could go there and have a couple of the guys, an offensive tackle, I believe, and a defensive tackle who might come with me. And I kind of liked that. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I went on, I went on my quote unquote five official visits. Westcon was one of them. And that trip there is a whole nother story, <laughs> which we're happy to get into. But that's really what that's really what sold me. Well, it, it's, it's certainly good to know that the, that this is and it's especially important for, you know, for kids who are out there right now who are getting recruited uh, mm-hmm. to, to hear the stories of other people and the process that they sort of went to um, were were. Were, were you told there was eventually going to be a, a really nice stadium? I was. Uh, I was, but my father was a New York cop, so I didn't believe anything anyone told me anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I always and JC was a great recruiter. And I knew right off the bat that, you know, he was, you know, like every great recruiter, there's a bit of salesmanship and gamesmanship in that. And so if, if it isn't there in front of me and I can't get out there and run around on it now, I'm not going to bet that the field's going to be there tomorrow. So I never, A, I never had too much large expectations for that. And B, therefore, I was never really disappointed when it was a little late by a couple of seasons. But for me, it was pretty simple. I got up there, came with a few other teammates from my high school team. Who were that? Who, one of which you, who ended up coming. Yeah, who'd you come so up with? I came up with a guy named Fred Cleet, and I came up with a guy named Kevin Underdown, and I came up with another guy named Freddie Yop. And Freddie ended up coming and, and, and playing, I believe, for two seasons. Uh, the other two guys ended up going to, I think, University of Delaware and Cutstown. And so, and they were all defensive and offensive linemen for me. I was a running back and a linebacker. So when I got up there, 
as you can imagine, Coach Loth, and I think this will tell the whole story, Bart, because this name will, <laughs> if you haven't dusted off this name in the last few podcasts, it should have been. I was hosted by Duke DeCarlo. <laughs> we have not talked about Duke yet. <laughs> now, how could you talk about West Coast football and not talk about Duke? He was probably here as long as any coach. So <laughs> I don't know if he was eligible for all nine seasons, but he was here. The, uh, but, you know, Duke, as you guys remember, was an extraordinary character, wildly charismatic, a tremendous leader. And so uh, and he loved to have a great time like any college kid. And so uh, I stayed with him overnight and a fellow named John Miata, who ended up becoming New York City police detective from Long Island. Uh, and we stayed at a house that they had off campus, 39 Lake Avenue, which ended up becoming my house for four years. So it was a terrific night that probably could be a great movie, uh, a nice two and a half hour film. But it was all it was all above the board. It was all clean natured fun. But it was a great deal of fun. But what I really got to see was I got to meet a lot of the cast of characters, so to speak. I wasn't really trying to evaluate the guys for their playing talent or anything silly like that. But the coaches were extraordinary. The one thing I noticed was amongst the other D2 and Division three coaches, there was a level of professionalism and an attention to detail that was much more like a Division one, one AA program. So I really liked that they had that vibe. They had that big school energy from a coaching program. And the players were great and extremely diverse. And I put a lot of emphasis, even with raising my children now, on diversity and socioeconomic diversity, surrounding yourselves with different people with different skill sets from different walks of life because you become more well-rounded. And we had kids from Maine. We had kids from the South. We had kids from the inner city of New York where I was born. We had kids from Connecticut. And you just, you know, you had farmer kids to city kids. Uh, you had kids that were fervently atheists and Baptist. Uh, my roommate was, if you guys remember, it was uh, was Nelson Bowden, Nelson, yeah. who was a born again. He was always reading me scripture. Yeah, God he bless thought he was going to save me. I didn't feel like I needed to be saved, <laughs> uh, but he tried nonetheless. But the recruiting, the recruiting to me, that was the big takeaway. The coaches were, I felt top notch. They still are. And the players were really diverse. It was a good bunch of people. Like, I think it's the nature of where you guys sit in Danbury. I think that's a big part of it and the history of the program the university. When you're sitting right in between New England and all that that has to offer, Western PA and then Ohio behind it. And then right there in the tri-state where you've got all of New York City and you've got New Jersey, you've got great walks of life and all different kinds of students and all kinds of athletes. And so that to me really appealed to me where I just, I just felt like it was my tribe. I felt like I walked away from that, that weekend, like that's my tribe and they've got criminal justice. So what am I waiting for? Ooh. Well, it's just, you know, I, I, I'm listening to the story, and you talk about the, the coaches, and it's true. It's still that same coaching mentality that exists here. And I'm not – I don't want to give the impression, you know, winning is, is everything, win, 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 win. But the point is this is a football program. We're here yeah. to play football. We're going to pay attention. We're not going to make excuses for this, that, or the other thing. Let's just get to it. And there's that sense of discipline. And you've brought it up, Coach Loth, about the, the Servino era. If there's one big takeaway that you had as a coach, what is it? Structure. I always thought he brought a tremendous amount of structure to yes. how we did things. Yeah, bottom line. <laughs> And it, it, For me, when I look back at my time there and people ask me to assess the coaches I had, and I had tremendous coaches, right? 
let's not forget, Coach Loth was my position coach, right? It was it was one of his first coaching positions. You know, we're both showing our age. It was 20-something plus <laughs> years ago. He was one, and it was also Coach Salgado, you yep. guys recently had on. He was my other linebacker coach over my four years. So those were my two position coaches. And my defensive coordinator was Coach Brock, who, in the great Southern words that he used said, right, you know, I love my grandmother. But if I'm playing her checks, I'm going to kick her ass in checkers <laughs> and just wanted to win all the time, which is huge, hugely connected with me. But all these coaches throughout that time have been fantastic. So when I look back at that time, I always say, like, what, what kind of period was the schooling? Coach Avino brought structure because Coach Avino, to me, was very analogous to a Jerry Glanville or uh, – <laughs> Uh, or, you know, uh, I'm sorry, those two coaches who had the great father who coached the Bears. Rex Ryan, Bears. Rex Ryan, right? Yep, the Ryan, Buddy Ryan, his father. Yep. He was great at bringing structure in, playing hard defense, changing the attitude, changing the culture. And so you could go into a winning position. So I really get, he gets a lot of credit for the transformation. I think some of the coaches that came after him really fine-tuned it to turn it into a, a, a really, really good winning program. But, you know, from... Brazington to Servino was the U-turn to winning and to structure and to culture. Tom, for you, uh, you, you got to have some solid memories of those, those playing days and, and some yeah. games that might jump out at you, maybe not just for a, an individual performance, but because of what transpired for the, for the team. You know, there's a great deal, and I'll try not to get too choked up, but we beat uh, Keene opening, sorry, uh, opening game of uh, 93, right after my brother died. And I missed a little bit of camp to attend his funeral in his wake. And I came back and I was welcomed with open arms. Coach Savino warned everybody I was going to probably come and knock him in the dirt, which was my plan to do to everybody. And we went out there and played them. And Coach Brock said afterwards, we won that game, won by safety. He said, you'll probably play and never play a better game than that. I had like two pass breakups, a sack, and 17 tackles. And I had my brother's initials written on my wrist. My older brother, Christopher, who died in August of 1993. That's a tough one for me to kind of overlook because it was such an emotional game. And we did play well. And it was a very hard-fought Friday night or Saturday night game. That was great. And it was so close. Uh, but there was other games that I, I thought were tremendous. I mean, my freshman year, I played a good deal. Excuse me for that. My freshman year, I played a good deal, though I didn't start. And I played behind a great senior veteran, John Vallejo, who was a phenomenal person, as well as coach from the Austin, New York area. He was my roommate when I was a freshman. He was a wonderful human being. I hope he hears this. And I played behind him. He was a great will. He was built more like a Sam, but he was a will. So I was better more in pass coverage than he was. He was probably better against the run since I was probably 202 pounds soaked and went my freshman year playing the run. Uh, but we played, if you remember, we played Stony Brook at home for homecoming, which was a big rival for many years. And Dave Sessa, a great quarterback out of Pennsylvania, uh, Norristown, actually, I think it was called. He had that little Southern drawl some people have in Pennsylvania. He, I think he constructed about a 94-yard, two-minute drive at the end of the game to win homecoming, which was referred to as the drive at West Con for probably three to four years. And don't get me wrong, we had amazing 
an incredible pass-happy, wonderful offenses that came after that. But that was one of the first legitimate, well-constructed drives during a period where offense was lacking. It was more of a defensive team. Obviously, the team became a juggernaut offensively over the late 90s and 2000s, clearly. Uh, and you've had some great guys go on to the CFL and otherwise play in Europe who were out of that offense. But that, that, that one really sticks out to me. Uh, and then the one that sticks out to me most negatively was, you know, we did turn the program around, I feel, right? When I got there, it was, a, it was a, basically a two-win team. And when I was leaving my senior year, you know, I think we went seven and three was the final record. And, but we lost to Norwich on the last game of the year in Norwich, which is probably why I'll never go back to Vermont. And uh, we shouldn't have beat them. It was a cold day and we weren't prepared and they were. And because of that, we did not make the uh, NCAAs. And we found out it was, uh, I guess it was late October, 1995. We came into the meeting room, uh, that large hall room on the main campus that we used to do film breakdown. And we found out on a Sunday night, we had not made the tournament. We thought there was still a chance to make the tournament. We were ranked about 23rd in the nation to 15th in the nation, I think in division three at that time. Uh, and we didn't make it. And we met, we got you know knocked off the bubble. And I went from being ready to prepare for another game to my college career being over in about three minutes. And that, that always sit with me poorly. And I remember I got up and I looked at the guys and I told them, you've got unfinished business. And that was the name of the campaign for the next year on the, on the meeting guide, Unfinished Business. Whew. You know, you brought up the name Dave Sessa. So I have to mention yeah. this because you mentioned Stony Brook. And <laughs> I'll always remember a, a coach, an assistant coach from Stony Brook, um, sees me in a, in a, a hallway. Is there, it's after the game and la, 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 la. And he, he looks at me and he goes, wait. Where do you find some of these players? He goes, that quarterback. Wait, you know what rock did you find him out from? I want to. I want to know. It, I mean, he's he's upset, but he's not upset. It's a compliment. Uh, sure. mean, to the to the coaching sure. staff and the program. I mean, yeah, I mean, Dave was a heck of a Dave was a heck of a guy. He was he had the personality. If his arm was as big as his personality of being perfect for a quarterback, he still might be playing. He was very much like a Brett Favre. He wanted to sling it. He didn't have Brett Favre's arm. No one does with Brett Favre. But he could sling it. But he had he had that. When he got behind your center, nobody questioned who was the quarterback of that football team. Oh, no doubt about it. But so you mentioned great characters, great players. And, um, you know, it's a shame that that tournament situation, especially against Norwich, because there was always, Coach Loth, there was always, I always had this feeling about Norwich that there might have always been just a little bit of bad blood uh, yeah. between the the programs, uh, yeah, things that had gone on, such and such and such. I mean, I can remember even before your time, uh, Tommy, about a, uh, <clears throat> there was once, Stories of a, a meal that wasn't too good up at Norwich before oh, yeah. before a a football game. Uh, it was delivered by Norwich, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. So uh, yep. you know, you, you there were there were some great rivalries there, and definitely no love lost between some of the programs that you hooked up with. 
Yeah, I mean, I always thought it boiled down to the fact that none of them obviously got into one of the actual uh, military <laughs> service academies. And so they were always upset <laughs> even getting into Coast Guard. So I would probably want to poison people too. But, you know, <laughs> that's why they put them up in that tiny little corner of New England where no one, where they can't really bother anyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't think anyone from Norwich is listening, so I hopefully I didn't. Yeah. And if I did, good. Uh, but during this time, look, you're, you're saying it's your last, it's your last football game. But yeah. during this time, we should point out you're also getting an an education. Um, that side of it, how hard is it for it for the student athlete? You know, the these days I can only imagine. But how tough was it to? to keep the studies going, keep the grades going, and concentrate on football? I mean, it's, it's no easy feat, but nothing worth accomplishing is easy. Uh, you know, life is all about reaping what you sow. And the more you sow, the more you'll reap. And, th- and that's in everything in life. And anyone who, you know, we are not designed as human beings or designed as people to be apathetic and lazy. Uh, we're designed to work. We, you know, we're designed to move. Uh, you get up and you work. That's what you're supposed to do. You know, as we used to say under Coach Servino on Labor Day, Labor Day is a work day. It is not a day off. And, and you know, listen, I, I kind of agree with that a great deal. And, you know, my people might say I was a workaholic or whatever, but I got a lot of that from my family. And I got a lot of that from Westcott. Uh, Coach Loft was probably one of the most important figures in my life in knowing how to manage your time. Time management. Understanding what your priorities are and getting them done. It's your degree, it's your football team, it's your training, it's your studies, it's your family. How many hours do you have in a week? How many hours do you have in a day? When are you awake? When are you going to do these things? Well, then I guess you don't have enough time for that and this. But if you really want that goal, you'll allocate your time accordingly. And I kind of took that with me through the rest of my life, even you know after starting and, and, and developing several companies. You know, the thing I'll say, Bart, is with academics, especially at the college level, I think it, it's every kid is so different. Some kids come from great academic situations in high school, like a like a really good suburban school that, you know, they're they're so prepared for college and they hit the ground running. There's other kids that come from very challenging school districts that we just got to get them through that first year, sometimes get them through yeah. that first semester. And there's a learning curve of how to figure out how to do well in college. It's not even the kid's fault. It's just kind of how he was prepared. And if we can get him through that first year, almost every single kid's got an opportunity and graduates and, you know, from Western Connecticut. It's just such a challenge for some kids. Like I said, it's not even their fault. But and we go through that every year. And it's one of the more rewarding things at coaching at this level or any level is finding those kids that just figure it out. And they, even though college gets harder, as they move on from their freshman year to their senior year, in a lot of ways it gets easier because they understand how to do it, understand how to study expectations and everything. So, so I agree with Coach a thousand percent. The you know the part I'd add to that, if I can, you know, piggyback on what he's already saying is, if I can give you know advice to the people looking at universities, whether it be Western Connecticut and playing football there or not, or another university is, but you know, largely those that are looking at athletic careers in college. Be coachable. Uh, you can be ill-prepared in high school, for sure. Like some of these people who haven't had as uh, socioeconomically uh, advantageous situations in, in their youth as some other players on the team. But if they understand that they need to be coachable, and the coachable is two things. It's very simple. It's listening and keeping your mouth shut and then implementing that advice into your day. 
actually change the way you act based on what you were told to do by somebody who already has the cheat sheet on life. And that's being coachable, whether it's a key step or getting to class and spending two hours in a book. That's being coachable. And if you want to succeed in life and you come from where you've gotten little preparation in your youth, be coachable when you're around people that are willing to share their time with you that have a great deal of success and experience. So, Tommy, what what happens in civilian life? I mean, I know what happens because I I know the Tom Del Vecchio story, which, by the way, I think I've heard that Steven Spielberg has optioned this for a movie. (laughs) Uh, But... Take, it's a take, follow-up to Predator, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but, but take us to that next step, because now, all of a sudden, you, hey, last football game, you're going to graduate. It's civilian lifetime for Tom Del Vecchio. Well, I'll tell you this. And I, I might be one of the few guys that will be 1,000% honest. A lot of it is a letdown after college football. And that's the God-honest truth. I feel like I've had some great successes and I'll touch on some, you know, some anecdotal information. But for me, the intensity, the passion, the drive uh, that only comes from, to be honest, things where combat is involved and football is legal combat. It is the most it is the most contact of the sports. I don't know, like as much as I try to find that com- competitive, intense atmosphere and call it in the business world, it, nothing's like football. Nothing's like college football. And so to waste or squander those 40 opportunities over four years, typically playing a 10-game schedule, that's what it is. It's 40 Saturdays, 40 opportunities. That's it. That's all it is. It's 20 movies. It's 40. Yeah, that's all it is. If to squander that. I don't see how you won't have regret for the rest of your life if you had the opportunity to do it, because you'll only have richer memories and, and fuller memories and be a better person from it. But you know, to go back to your original question, put that aside, even though I was being quite blunt, I tried to, I tried to drive myself personally post-college the way I drove myself for training for college. I had initially probably kind of a tough time for six months readdressing and altering my identity because I saw myself as a football player, but I was no longer a football player. I was never going to be a football player again. And that was tough to get through my brain because that's all I was from age 12 on in my mind. And yeah, I I saw myself as a student, of course, but first and foremost, I was a football player. I mean, even today at 48 years old, people will come up to me like you play football, right? And it's the first thing they say to me because they see my neck, they see my shoulders. I'm like, yes, a million years ago, I played football. You know, you want to see me limp? Just kidding. But but so what I tried to do is I tried to take that intensity. And, you know, I noticed at first I had to recalibrate it because you can't run around and knock people down. You can't be, you know, uh, what is it? Terry Tate office linebacker in real life. Though, if that job existed, I would apply for it. Uh, But so what I tried to do is just say, listen, okay. I know how to prioritize. I know time management. I understand how to create a large goal, a high, far away goal. And then I know how to build small goals that get you on your roadmap to your ultimate goal, whether your ultimate goal is in five years, 10 years, but you have to complete step one to get to step two. And some things you just can't, you can't fake. You can't fake just like in the university program. You can't fake putting on 20 pounds of muscle over four years. You just got to spend that time in the weight room, eat what they tell you to eat and lift the weights at will. You will put those 20 pounds on, 
but you can't, you can't fake that overnight. And you can't fake knowing how to build and start a business overnight. You've got to learn it. So for me, you know, uh, I spent a few years in Martha's Vineyard with some friends and I started my first business out there. But, you know, I knew that's not what I wanted to do forever. It's not where I wanted to live forever. And so I came back and, you know, I took a job in finance, which is not what my degree was in. But I decided I didn't want to be in criminal justice. I, I was worried about the lifestyle suiting me and possibly a family at some point in my life. And, you know, obviously criminal justice, especially on the federal level, which is what I was focused on in my college years, can be tough on home life because there's so much traveling if you're based out of the DMV or Maryland or Annapolis areas. And, you know, it came about, call it maybe 2001, 2002, where I was just like, I want to be in technology-driven finance. I want to be around enterprise tech. I want to be around, call it Wall Street. I want to be around large data. At the time, really, there was no one in large data. There was really no large data. Uh, but I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I started kind of like Coach Loth and the rest of the coaches taught me. It's like, well, if that's the big goal that you are ill-prepared to be in, Mr. Dabakiao. What are the small things you can do today and tomorrow, this week, and this year? And be patient because it's not going to happen overnight. I'm not patient by nature. I don't think you've ever met a linebacker who is patient by nature. They're agile, mobile, and hostile. And that's largely what I was in business. It served me well. Sometimes it didn't. But over time, with perseverance and persistence and a plan, a written-down plan with a chronological order, uh, I was able to build a, a technology market research focused on large data set aggregation that was able to monetize the product to Wall Street and became pretty much the industry standard on Wall Street for technology investors that were doing due diligence on, you know, whether it be Silicon Valley, uh, pre-public companies or publicly traded companies like Microsoft. So we produced that data, sold that data, all from an idea I had and grew it from myself and an intern to about 30 employees. And uh, in 2019, I completed a, a Series A capital financing raise at a $70 million pre-money valuation and created a board, took a board seat, uh, stayed on the company for about another year. And at that point, it was time. It was time to go. I, I realized something about myself. Not unlike coming to the school and enjoying that I was part of the turnaround, that zero to five, maybe I was never on the 10 and 0 teams that came later. I realized I'm the same way in business. I like being zero to the first 10 million in revenue. I like taking an idea, working with the product, being hands-on with sales, training people, identifying people, leading people. My best trait is probably as a leader. I was a good football player. I was a better leader. Uh, that transitions better to the business world when you have to get off the football field because they tell you you're retired, in my case. And, and that's what I wanted to do. And I realized after that, you know, I did two technology market research firms. First, I did one called the InfoPro. And then the second one was uh, Enterprise Technology Research, also known as ETR or Activity. Uh, and, you know, worked it out with the board, but uh, stepped away from the company after 16 years in tech on Wall Street uh, and kind of just took, a, to be honest, a early retirement sabbatical, which I've been on for about two years now. Well, you're not really retired because... You know, I know it's old technology, but even though yeah. you're at a distance and this is a podcast, I can hear the file cards flipping in your brain. <laughs> Tommy, so what I'm doing now, so what I'm doing now, to be honest, <laughs> is part of why I had to take a break was I was on garden leave, which, you know, 
hopefully all of your players will one day be lucky enough to be paid not to work at some point in their lives. Uh, because, you know, obviously as a CEO, I became the, I was the founder and then CEO and board member and we stepped down as CEO and uh, stayed on, on the board for another year. Obviously they don't want you building another company alongside it or competing with them tomorrow because that's not good for the company that you left. It's not good for the employees you hired. It's not good for the investors that you brought into the company. Uh, but after that, you know, I had a two-year period. So that just ended recently. So what I'm doing now is I've been a very, what's called very active angel investor. So myself, uh, myself, my wife, our family trust, we've now actively invested in, I think, just under 30 uh, enterprise technology companies, you know, largely smaller companies uh, with valuations less than 30 million that are largely enterprise-facing, like a Microsoft or cybersecurity or an Amazon Web Services. Uh, a lot of them are like no code and data science, but also some consumer ones that are focused around uh, kind of disrupting uh, consumer models like grocery delivery or at-home cooking. So uh, and I'm sitting on, I think, five boards now as a director and or an advisor. So I probably I'm technically retired and my wife makes fun of me because, you know, I'm coaching sports. I'm cooking breakfasts and dinners for the kids uh, and I'm invested in 29 companies and I'm on the board of five. So I probably spend about 30 hours a week on the phone with CEOs and CFOs, giving them advice on what they're doing, you know, tackling and tackling and blocking day to day and building their businesses. So I, I, it's a pretty active retirement, but technically I'm not working for someone else and paying myself a salary. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell us about one of these things? Because I, I, I noticed because the, uh, the, the portfolio, if you will, the Del Vecchio yes. portfolio is, yes. is rather huge. Um, it's, uh, I'm trying to look and see if it, <laughs> not I, as big I as I'd like. It, it, there's like the, the pepper Jack app or something like that. Yes. What is that? Pepper, see, I love that you plugged it. You should all look up. You should all look up Jake, the founder, the founder CEO of pepper, the app. So think of it this way. Let's say I, I'm Italian American. I love to cook. In case you guys don't know, the number one thing I do when I'm, you know, not working or exercising, I'm cooking. I cook five, six nights a week, right? And I'm obsessed with wine. I have a, I'm all about Italian wine. So I'm always looking at recipes and I love sharing my recipes. And I have a lot of friends who are like, hey, Tom, what's, you know, what's your rigatoni recipe with the wild boar? So what I do, it's really simple. I'll take a photo of the product, take a photo of the end product of my dish, maybe a couple of photos with my cell phone during it. it takes me 10 seconds. I jot out on the phone what that step was, you know, boil water, dump rigatoni in. And then when it's done, I hit post and it's on pepper. Now, anyone can find it from a friend to a person on the other side of the world. And there's every, every step, every recipe. It tells you how long, how easy it is. It's not from a cooking show where you can't copy Rachel Ray who, because you're not a classically trained chef. It's from Tom Vecchio, who's probably better at lifting weight than lifting a knife. But you can copy that recipe, right? And here's the best part. You can copy it, do it, and then post your side-by-side with mine. Gets one better. You can see it and say, okay, here's Tom's recipe and ingredient list for his four family members. His little boy, Gray, who maybe one day will play for Coach Loth. His daughter, London, <laughs> and his wife, Fema, the four of us, right? And uh, you can look right at it and it'll have the amount, right? One pound of pasta, 28 ounces of tomato sauce. You can immediately, it's integrated into things like DoorDash and Instacart. So now you say, oh, deliver that exact ingredient and recipe list to me in the next hour. An hour later, the exact volume and amount of each ingredient is there. So you can copy that meal an hour after you saw it on, on Pepper. That's pretty good stuff, Bert. I, I tend to think so, but... My wife and I need to get that. You know, yeah, but can you tell me where to get some good Zazits, Del Vecchio? <laughs> 
support they have in the Bronx. Uh, I know. Hey, Bart, one of the things I want to make sure we talk about is, uh, you know, part of being the head football coach and running a program is when guys give back, whether it's, oh. whether it's their time coming to talk to the team, whether it's financial, whether it's donating a little bit of money and stuff like that. And of, and Tom is a handful of guys, probably the most, has been the most generous with his time and also generous with giving back to the program. I just want to thank Tom for what he has done for the program, what he's given back and. And, uh, you know, hopefully he's gotten something from us for giving back to a little bit. And I, I, first off, I really appreciate you saying that. And uh, I wish I could give more, but my wife would kill me. <laughs> no, I'm not asking to give more. I'm just, I'm saying thank you no, for what no, you've no, done. No, it's all right. I would, I would. Uh, it's funny. I think of, I think of the, I think of ROI a lot, right? Return on investment, which is a, a real kind of bottom line driver of a lot of people who run businesses. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, if you put in $2 and you take out 10, how's the return on investment? You know, coach probably put 200 grand into an empty, into an empty shell company uh, when I got there. And the value of what he put in was probably a quarter million dollar investment. And somebody had a good idea, but didn't know how to do it. Now, when I return back, what I return back financially, I think it's a drop in the bucket in comparison to what I got out of the university. Yeah. Well, you, you know, it's and we get the recipes too. I may add. I just yes, want to well, say, you know. I think I think you got enough vowels in your name. You should know your recipes. <laughs> well, Loth is the one who needs more vowels. I, know, I get the, I get the great wife at home. That's the great cook. That's all you need too. That's, that's <laughs> Plan go. B that works just as well. But it's it, the the giving part. You know, is it's it's great. It really, you know, it, it sends messages on so many levels. It, it doesn't just help. The, the program itself, Tommy, but it also um, sends a message out there of, of that continued connection between all of us. Um, you know, the, the football program, the alum, uh, the fans, the current students, it, it just sends a message out there that there, there is a connection. This is, this is not, you know, stop, drop, and, you know, we'll see you type of situation. You can make of it what you want to make of it. You have chosen to uh, to do that. Again, not everybody can do it, but if they if they can, it's it's appreciated and and can bottom line bottom line is that, that program, this program will always show that appreciation because I don't know if I've seen quite at the D3 level um, or I should say, and, and here at Westcott, a program that wants to stay so connected to its alum, that wants to invest in that history and the future as well, all with the student-athletes, number one, first and foremost. That's why we're doing this podcast. Well, I like the number one plug at the end there. <laughs> I, I, I sure as heck liked wearing that number at linebacker, but I agree with you, Bart. I, I will say one, I will differ an opinion on one thing because I, I agree with 99.9% of what you said. I do think anybody can do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't come from a phenomenal background and I come from a single parent home and my father was a cop. Uh, my brother, as you guys, as we touched on in the beginning, died early. My mother wasn't in my life. You know, I, I came as a very driven and somewhat angry kid to Westcott, but with great coaches that were more than coaches. They were professional mentors. They were surrogate fathers. They were, in some cases, like brothers because they were so close in age, like Salgado. Uh, and I've kept relationships with all of them. As you can see, I mentioned them. I was texting with Coach Sharaka the other day. He's 
Now he's an analyst now, right at West Virginia. No, he's actually back. He's back. He's actually back in Minnesota now. Ah, he should have should have never left for Penn State. (laughs) Should have never left PJ Fleck. Uh, So I'm happy to see he's back at the Gophers. And you know, Cerise obviously has done a tremendous job at Princeton. Uh, So I'm actually trying to get one of my friend's sons, who's one of the best football players on Long Island, to go try to go play for Cerise. It's either that or UConn, apparently. So. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think everybody can do it. I think everybody just has to have the desire to do it. And if you have lower potential and you come from a from a more disadvantaged background, the road is going to be longer. And you have to be more patient. And you have to be more dogged. But it is there. And, you know, it's parents' jobs to tell their 17, 16, and 18-year-old sons and daughters that they need to be in places where they'll be embraced, they'll be fostered to be themselves, and they'll be supported. I, I just don't know of a lot of places where that is uniquely done like it is at the Western Connecticut football program. Between the university, the spot in the country, from an hour from New York, three hours from Martha's Vineyard, two hours, three hours from Boston. Uh, when you're in that area with, I mean, look at, I mean, how much does it say for a program that the guests on the program who are now in the NFL, Division One? Uh, dominating the Ivy League, that they're spending their time coming back to talk to the head coach of the program who was an assistant who decided to come back himself. What does that say? That I mean, when you look for real estate as a parent to raise your child in a good town, you look for a town where everybody moves away and then comes back to raise their kids there. That's always the sign of a great town, right? Oh, I was doing well in New York City, California, but I wanted to come home and raise my kids in blank. That's what Westcon is as a university and a football program. People always come back. That's a good analogy. Tommy, I can't thank you enough for, for taking time to be with us. You're, um, it's, I said this to Coach Lobb. If, if you opened up, I, I know we physically don't have encyclopedias anymore. Everything's digital, Tom. But if we, I mean, if you open up Wikipedia page, yes. okay. So if we no, if we opened up a real encyclopedia, real old fashioned encyclopedia, and we looked up Westcon football, your picture would be there, Tommy. It'd be there. Oh, that's that. That is probably the nicest compliment I've ever got. I appreciate that. I'd like to think though, it'd be alongside some great players like Bill Bryce, Bruce Leon, uh, Dave Sessa. Uh, Jim Fitzmorris, the good doctor, the Grant brothers, Nelson Bowden, Vinny Van Voris, yeah. Nelson Bowden, yeah. Kevin Reed, Chris DiCarlo, Jason Arters. Uh, there's a lot of these guys, McKenna. These guys, you know, they should they should be more, as much as we're all involved, we should be involved more. Jason Wells, let's not forget Jason Wells. And Shea Bowman, who you already add on, Anthony Constantine. You know, for me, you really should, if you try to judge yourself without relative context, you can't judge yourself. Everything in life is truly relative. Everything's relative, right? You know, if you have the nicest house on the worst block, well, maybe it's not a very nice block. You have the smallest house on the best block. Well, it speaks to the block. Everything's relative in context. So I would rather be thought of, and, and if you open that Wikipedia page, because I won't agree with you with Encyclopedia, but I'll try. <laughs> if you open that Encyclopedia page and you open up to Western Connecticut, I would like to be, I, you know how I envision that? I envision it as one of those large mosaics where from the outside, maybe you just see the WC. But when you zoom in 
It's about a thousand faces of people that put in 52 seasons at Westcon as a coach or a player or as somebody on the staff or as an athletic trainer like Mark Allen, who meant so much to the program. Tommy, uh, I'd ask you, I'd ask you what, what's next, but I don't want you to give away business secrets. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say, how can people stay in touch? Since you're involved in all these, these things, and you know, a light bulb may have gone off in somebody's he's head. Oh, yeah. How, how could they or, an, or a kid who needs an internship. Yeah. You know, I'm always trying to take the Westcom kids and give them internships with tech companies and cybersecurity companies. So easiest way for me is I'm super available on LinkedIn. That's probably where I actually get a lot of deal flow and what's called sourcing. People just ping me on LinkedIn and say, I'm building this kind of business in Silicon Valley. Do you want to do a Zoom and get a pitch? So I'm always open to it, even if it's just a kid who wants a mentor, wants somebody to reach out to, ask a question. I'm always there, whether it's on how to lift weights, because Lord knows I loved lifting weights when I was at Westcon, or just conducting their life, whatever it may be. I'm, I'm, if I'm available and I'm not giving time to my kids, I'm available. All right. Well, we appreciate it, Coach Longth. Yeah, tell uh, I one of the best. It. You know that. Oh yeah. Anytime. Listen. Anything I can do for Coach Longth in the program, I will do. Yeah. Always appreciate it. Oh, I got one last quick question for you. Yes, sir. F- fresh basil. Fan of it or not? Uh, fresh basil only. I mean, I don't. You can't make penny olive vodka without true fresh basil. The question isn't fresh or not fresh. The question is torn or chopped. Uh-huh. Torn. Ah. Torn. <laughs> Air basil, you don't chop it. <laughs> Tommy, thanks so much thanks, for being with us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Be well, guys. We have to wrap up this edition of the West Camp Football Podcast. Bart Basterna with Coach Joe Loth. Tommy Delvecchio is just a, an outstanding individual. He is, you know, he. If you go to the encyclopedia and it says Westcon football, you want to have his picture right there. Yeah, no question. Great family man, great you know guy. Uh, one of Coach Servino's favorite guys. You know, uh, love those Long Island guys, and you can tell by the conversation what what a great dude he is too. You know. Oh, and we wish him continued success, and can't tell you how much we appreciate his support and folks out there who may be catching the podcast. We always appreciate your support for the football program and Wisconsin athletics as well. Even if it's just a small note or it's something, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's always appreciated and put to good use because we want to make sure the Wisconsin football experience is the best it can be for the student athletes. Yeah, no question. And, and, you know, real quickly on Tom again, once again, not only a guy that had a great experience here, but loves giving back. You know what I mean? I think giving back sometimes, uh, the guys that give back have no idea how much we appreciate it. Our current players appreciate the guys that give back too. Yep. And and what you do is you keep the keep the chain going in that regard. So we love it, we love it, we love it, and we hope you will love the podcast and join us again when we return. Right, Coach Long? Sounds good. Yeah. We'll be with you. The pooch will be here too, I guarantee you. This has been the Westcott Football Podcast. See you soon, everybody. I haven't left this building in 27 years, <laughs> so I'll be here. It's gotten a little nicer, though, right? A little bit, yeah. The Westcon Football Podcast is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. 
Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us find new listeners. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WCSU Podcasts, and feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at wcsu.edu. Thanks for listening. Go, see.